more than 4,000 graduate students in over 80 different programs of study. You guys are sort of all over the world, it seems like. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think about it. Here on Inspiration Dissemination. But there's actually photographs of this data set stretching over a much longer period of time. They're now converted into basically mathematical shapes, and we can now analyze the statistics of this shape. Good evening, listeners. Good evening, listeners. Hello, and good evening, listeners. You're tuned in to 88.7 KBVR Corvallis. It's time for another episode of Inspiration Dissemination. I'm Lisa Hildebrand. And I'm Miriam Lipton. At Oregon State, we have more than 4,000 graduate students and postdoctoral fellows in over 80 different programs of study. And here on Inspiration Dissemination, we feature the research and personal stories of one of these students each week. If you're a graduate student or a postdoc at OSU and you're interested in coming on the show, or you just want to find out more about all the awesome things going on at Oregon State, check out our blog at blogs.oregonstate.edu slash inspiration, where you can find out all about our up and coming guests and links to our Twitter and podcast pages. Inspiration Dissemination is recorded live, and today we are lucky to be joined by Dr. Holga Buchholz, a first-year postdoctoral fellow in the Department of Microbiology in the College of Agricultural Sciences. Hi, Holga. Hi. Hi. Yeah, welcome to the booth. (laughs) Um, So, During his time at OSU, Holger will be spending his days infecting marine bacteria and algae to see what they do and how these infections relate to carbon and carbon cycles specifically. And Holger's research is pretty timely because it may help at least provide a better better picture of what carbon does um, in our atmosphere, in our oceans, and kind of just all over globally. and also because of um, all, all of his research, he has a connection to Bill Murray, Ghostbusters, and chance encounters in Australia. Yeah, and we're which, gonna, which we'll get to. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna get into all of those things. Um, but let's start with the basics, the basics of carbon. Holger, can you um, briefly describe, I guess, how carbon sort of cycles globally? So basically, when I think about carbon cycles, I'm more I. Okay, so carbon cycles are happening all over the world. So we have carbon cycles like a global one and you have like terrestrial on the soil. But when I think about carbon, I always think about the oceans because the ocean is like 71% of the earth. And uh, yeah, it starts on the bottom with the phototroph. So we have the algae that produce or photosynthesize and uh, basically produce carbon compounds. And uh, yes, then they move up the food chain. When they get eaten, they produce compounds that get eaten by bacteria, then zooplankton eat the bacteria and phytoplankton and so on, until it reaches the big things like fish and whale and eventually us, actually. Oh, that's good. We're we're on top. (laughs) (laughs) Can you provide us with um, some an example of a carbon compound that cycles, perhaps one that's relevant to your research? So what I'm mostly interested in is methanol which most people probably don't realize is actually a, a volatile organic carbon in the ocean. Yeah, I definitely didn't know that before we started 
as, yeah, as only like a nanomolar concentrations in the ocean, but it gets produced during photosynthesis in algae and is actually the most important part of the VOCs, or at least I think so, in terms of abundance at least. And it has also huge influence on the atmospheric composition. It influences how radicals and ozone forms in the atmosphere. So it's uh, yeah, a huge impact on our global carbon cycles and the ocean carbon cycles as well. Mm. And so VOC, that stands for volatile organic carbon. What, what Compound. Compound, sorry. I'm actually Is not sure com- if it's <laughs> compound oh, really? or carbon. I, I, read, I read like both ways. Oh, interesting. Oh, interesting. <laughs> okay. okay, I thought it was, I thought it was compound, but maybe it's just carbon. So when I read papers, I often read uh, volatile organic carbon, but when I like Google it or something, then it comes up as compound. So I, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> okay. But but what does that mean, I guess? Like what sets apart a volatile organic carbon or compound from a non-volatile, I guess? Is that a thing? Well, yeah, basically any other compound that's carbon and non-volatile would be a non-volatile carbon compound. So the volatiles are... Um, all the gases that are uh, dissolved in the oceans, for example, um, and, and, and like all the, the compounds that react easily and uh, dissolve easily and, and then dissipate, like methanol, so that it evaporates and that's why it's volatile. Like volatile, like it's like quick it to disappear kind of thing. It doesn't yeah, sort of yeah. stay in one place for a long time. You can think about that the way. I see. Okay, and, and there's a lot of methanol, or there's some methanol in the ocean um, and sort of they are a product of something you had mentioned that they're a product of photosynthesis, right? Yes. And, um, but when they were released, obviously if there's a cycle, that means that they're not just like being released and then they're forever in the ocean. Things eat them. Yes. Okay. And that's <laughs> the next part of my research. Right. I'm actually interested in what eats the methanol that gets produced. So uh, in particular, these are methylotrophs. That's uh-huh. the, the name for bacteria that are specialized on uh, C1 carbon compounds like methanol. And C1 means just... It means it's a carbon compound that has one carbon, carbon. Okay. atom. Right. So you're interested in methylotrophic bacteria, so bacteria that eat the methanol. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're looking at a specific clade of bacteria. Yes, that's the OM43 clade. So the name is not very inspired, but uh, <laughs> a lot of things in marine science are actually just kind of numbers and letters. Yeah, because, um, well, yeah, so, but then we have something more interesting perhaps later, which is, so there's the bacteria, and then there are things, so the bacteria eat the methanol, mm-hmm. sort of in the cycle, and then you have things that um, maybe not eat the bacteria, but infect the bacteria. Yes, and that's Probably also something most people won't realize is that uh, viruses actually infect bacteria as well. Mm-hmm, right. And they are a huge part of the marine ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, if um, all the carbon and energy just moves up the food chain, what is going to pull it down? How would come that not mm-hmm. all the carbon is eventually stored in the fish? Mm-hmm. And um, viruses play an important part in that because they infect and kill a lot of the cells like bacteria and phytoplankton and uh, release all the carbon back into the into the ocean where it can then be taken up by other microbes again. So basically recycles a lot mm. of carbon and energy in the ocean and puts it down the food chain. Okay, and these viruses are called bacteriophages, right? Yes, so viruses that infect bacteria, we call them bacteriophages or just phages for short. And before we go, I think, any further down this road, 
Holger isn't the only bacteriophage expert in the booth because <laughs> yeah. to my right, my co-host Miriam Lipton is in fact herself also a bacteriophage expert. Yeah, in a very different way. I study the therapy, the history of bacteriophage therapy, but actually my my sort of interest in bacteriophage is how Holger's on the show today. <laughs> um, it's a very random, awesome story. Uh, and in fact, it, it, Holger right now is wearing a shirt. What does your shirt say? Well, it's uh, introverted but willing to discuss virology. Yes, so you <laughs> describes me as a person. It describes me as a person, and I and I think that you sort of have this like theme of wearing interesting shirts. So one day, Holger was just walking down the street and wearing a a shirt that had a picture of a of a the bacteriophage on it. Yeah. And I and I saw him, and I just stopped him in the middle of the street and said, "I have to talk to you." <laughs> <laughs> it was great, and so and here you are. Because I just I couldn't I couldn't resist talking to someone that has bacteriophages just so proudly displayed on their shirts. No, it's hard to find people that are actually excited about bacteriophages. Yeah. Even among microbiologists, most people don't really care. I was I was just I like I was gleaming. I had two friends with me, and I think they were like, "This was the greatest encounter that has ever happened to Miriam ever." Because I was just so excited to see it. Well, glad it worked out. Yeah, it was. It was the shirt. You know, your your sort of shirts were. They were speaking, they, they made sense, and I'm glad it worked out. Yeah, so to any OSU grad students or postdocs, um, it, it may happen that a chance encounter like this pulls you into the booth. If not, you can please sign up on our website to be a guest on our show. Just right. a little plug um, for, future, for future shows. But anyway, so <laughs> there's a bacteriophage connection in the booth. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay, and, and you... Um, you're working on a particular bacteriophage, which again is sort of not as in, it's not as inspiring in the name, right? Currently, isn't it HTTC? Oh, that's the bacteria that I work with. Oh, yes. the bacteria that you work with. It's, okay, uh, not the HTCC twenty one eighty one in that's, clade OM forty three. That's a bacteria in the clade OM forty three. Yes. Okay. But the bacteriophage that Holger works with has a very inspired name, which is Venkman. Yes, Venkman. <laughs> Again, Any who, yeah, Ghostbusters fans right. out there? <laughs> and can you tell us a story about how Venkman got its name? Right. So, um, if you don't know, all the viruses have like really boring and complicated names, just like a random assimilation of like uh, numbers and letters. So, like COVID nineteen, um, right? Yeah, essentially. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's just like yeah. yeah. But yeah, and um, a lot of virologists want to kind of move to real names that actually mean something. Hmm. And my supervisor is like a huge fan of Bill Murray and um, Ghostbusters in particular. So he said, "Well, we should like name all our viruses that infect." Um, 43 bacteria uh, after Ghostbuster characters. <laughs> <laughs> because we should say that for his PhD, um, which Holger did at the University of Exeter, he was actually the first person to isolate and grow the Venkman bacteriophage in, in a lab yes. setting, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why he, he and his advisor had the honor of giving it a name. I think that's so cool. Yeah. Venkman. Yeah. yeah. Have any others been named after a Ghostbusters, or is this the first one so far? Yeah, like, will there be a series? Yeah. Uh, so I have a, a second one that I named Melnitz after the, uh, the was it the secretary or the, I think it was the secretary of the Ghostbusters in like a later movies. I, I personally, I don't really, well, I haven't I seen all the Ghostbuster <laughs> movies, but I like leave it up to my supervisor. To I, I know that Chris Hemsworth <laughs> becomes, the, he plays the secretary in the like female led Ghostbusters. Oh, is I he wonder called if, Melnitz? I, I don't know. Maybe. Janine Melnitz. I think that was oh. in the oh, original. Oh, so it's supposed to be in the original. So yeah. it's the it's the Chris Hemsworth analog of the original version. 
Um, and you also uh, isolated a bacteriophage here, or this was before you were the first one to isolate that bacteriophage when you were at University of Exeter. Yes. But you sort I, of, I've, people knew it existed. Well, yes, we know that basically for any living cell, there is a virus out there. So uh, it's not crazy to assume that for the bacteria like OM43, there would be a virus as well. But up to, the, to my PhD, nobody had uh, shown any isolates or genomes for OM43 viruses. So yeah, I was the first one who brought it into culture. I actually think it's kind of interesting to think that there's a bacteria, there's a virus for every bacteria on the planet. Probably, yes. Whoa. There's so many of them. So there's probably not a single bacteria that is completely immune or doesn't have any viruses that could kill it. And bacteriophages are everywhere, right? Like if you just They are basically everywhere. Every time in- you go in the ocean to swim, you probably swallow millions and billions of them. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Enjoy the ocean, folks. <laughs> but they're completely harmless to humans. So uh, even like among different bacteria species in general, it's, it's very rare that a virus infects like something that's not their host. And right, switching from, from bacteria to human is uh, impossible. Right, it has to be that like specific bacteria yes. that you have, and you have that specific bacteriophage. Yes. Yeah, it gets, I get it. Right. So, okay, so we've identified all of our key players. We have methanol in the ocean. We have methylotrophic bacteria in the clade OM43 that eats the methanol, and then there's bacteriophages, specifically Venkman, that infect those OM43 OM43 bacteria. Yes. Tie it all together for us, Holger. Why why does it matter? What are you examining the role of? So I want to see how the virus influences the metabolism of the cells, which is something that not many people in marine science study, or they want to study it, but it's really difficult. So uh, quite often people just use bioinformatics, but we know from some experimentations that, uh, yes, bacteriophages can have a huge influence on the metabolism of the cell to the point where the uh, basically the carbon footprint, if you want to think about it that way, is completely different in a bacteria that's infected compared mm. to a non-infected. It, and it, like any, I think it was like up to 50% of all the bacteria in the ocean are infected at any time. So wow. uh, it probably has like a huge Right. Implication in terms of the amount of carbon that gets cycled through the different trophic levels. And, and, oh, sorry. Go so ahead, I was going to say, when, when you say you want to you want to search what the impact is, you actually don't know if it's like making it so they so the bacteria uptake more carbon or less carbon or you don't have any clue right about how it actually affects not, it. No, not really. Which is crazy if there's half of the bacteria in the world are being infected by this and we don't know how it impacts we know for for a lot of the uh classical laboratory strains like e coli and uh, Mm. pseudomonas and all these kind of bacteria that's very well studied but for marine bacteria because they are so hard to cultivate in the laboratory we just don't know so Mm. um yeah and and this has a huge impact because of climate change because like we think when i think of the ocean i think oh it's a carbon sink but we don't know if these, if this is a sink, if it's causing it to be... At least for the volatiles, we don't actually know if yeah. the ocean is a sink or a source of uh, yeah, VOCs. So, for example, methanol, right? Such as mes- methanol, yes. Right, and so that's what you're... That's what I kind of want to figure out. So I'm starting at the very bottom and just kind of uh, 
start with how does the metabolism change? Does the VOC uptake get higher or lower? Does it just shift to different compounds maybe? For example, uh, viruses need a lot of phosphates, so maybe it shifts to more phosphate-heavy mm. uh, nutrients in the ocean. Who knows? Right. This is kind of blowing my mind because if you yeah. think about it, it's it's like what you're studying. They're they're like the 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 basic building blocks, I guess, of I don't know, life, right? It's like right. bacteria, viruses, carbon, and yet we don't know so much about them in the ocean. It's like just not just not known. I've heard, and maybe this is totally not true, but I've heard that we know more about the surface of the moon than we do about the bottom of the ocean. Like I've heard I think, that too. yeah, so I think that's still it. true. Yeah, yeah, and like. You're right. Like we have so little understanding of something that seems so fundamental that yeah. we should know. But Why we do don't. people keep trying to go to space? <laughs> Study the ocean. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And you're here at OSU on a uh, Simons Fellowship, right? Mm -hmm. And you're here for three years and you've just started and you're, at, you're a postdoctoral fellow like we talked about at the top. So you're actually yes. Dr. Holger. I am, yes. <laughs> I said doctor in the you beginning. Did, you totally so. did. It's like we're speaking to a doctor here. Um, so tell us a little bit um, about the two um, PIs or, I guess, advisors or colleagues that you work with here at Oregon State. So at Oregon State, I work with uh, Dr. Kimberly Halsey and Dr. Stephen Giovannoni in Nash Hall. Uh, yeah, I'm kind of shared between their, both their labs. And, because, and they do, it's because they sort of have these two expertise, yes. right? That, so like um, Dr. Halsey works with the algae component. Yes. And G, Dr. Stephen Giovannoni works with the, did I say that right? Yeah, you did. Works with the bacteria. <laughs> and, and that's how you kind of, it's like this, this sort of marriage of these two things that exactly. you want to work on. And you've got these like experts here at OSU. Yes. And, and now you're here. To be a new expert. Yeah, Hopefully. To be, to I be bring a... the, the viral components. So my supervisors here don't really know much about the viruses or they don't study them actively. So I come in as the virologist and then we have uh, Kim as the algae expert and Steve as bacteria expert. And then we hopefully can bring it all together and figure out what the interaction between those three is. Right, like the three musketeers yes. <laughs> coming together. <laughs> three musketeers of science, I like that. Yeah, and... Um, so, so you've been here since February. Yeah, late February. Uh, late February, and that's uh, four, three, two months, four yeah. months. Be happy that you missed the majority of February. I think it's the worst month of Oregon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was lovely weather when I arrived. Oh, it was that's a beautiful nice. sunshine. It was cold, but sunshine. But sunshine. And uh, so, what have you been doing since you got here? You've been sort of setting up stuff. Mostly just setting up all the experiments that I want to run. So uh, we're working with the PTRMS. So that's a, a Proton transfer reaction mass spectrometer, which is a mouthful. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, it needs a lot of uh, standards. So I ordered in a whole lot of standards for that and um, I ordered compounds to make a different media. I ordered in some algae strains from Santa Barbara and from uh, Maine, actually. Mm. Oh. Then I got, um, uh, I contacted Dr. Cam Cameron Thrash at um, UCLA. Oh, okay, UCLA. Mm. And I so, think it was UCLA. And, or USC. And Los UC, well, like they're both of, in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, one of those two. <laughs> one of those, yeah. So you get your bacteria, right? Yes, to get my bacteria. And so the last few months you've been, 
have been spent sort of ordering, making sure things stay alive, right? Because you you need yes. enough of your bacteria, your algae, your bacteriophage to make sure you can run these experiments, yes. which is the next stage. And like I mentioned, these strains are quite difficult to work with. So they, you can't just put them on an agar plate and leave them in the incubator. So uh, they kind of tend to die for no reason at all sometimes, <laughs> which is a, a very annoying, but you have to have to have the, the, the right setups and all that set, all set up. Uh, for example, with the, the algae that I worked with, I couldn't get them to grow the, to the right cell density. And mm. it turned out I just didn't open the flask wide enough so there wasn't like enough gas exchange to the culture. <laughs> I thought about it. So I did have it like like cracked, but it right, but just, just had like another half turn and it would have been fine. But mm. it took me like three weeks to figure that out, which is annoying. I, I also <laughs> just think about how like, because you you are one, you're the the, the virus musketeer, that you don't have anyone else that's sort of saying, okay, Holger, this is how you're supposed to set this up. Like, this is your design. I think this is sort of like what the difference is maybe between doing the PhD research and then like being the postdoctoral fellow. Like, yeah. you are on your own. You're the expert. Yes. So basically, I, I need to come up with my own ideas and yeah. my own experimental setup, like mm. how many flasks do I need, how many replicates and all that. I should know that by myself. Of course, I can always yeah. go to my supervisors and just say, hey, what, what do you think of this experimental design? Is that okay? Can mm. you think of like anything I did wrong? Yeah. And, I'm yeah. going to go a little off script here, but is this is your first postdoc position post-PhD? Yes. How have you been finding your transition? Quite challenging, actually. Okay. So yeah. uh, not, not easy, especially because in Exeter, the lab was much smaller. So we had uh, mm. uh, in the lab of uh, Dr. Ben Temperton at Exeter University. And uh, he only has like three, four people that work with marine science stuff. Mm -hmm. So we were quite, quite closely knit tight group mm -hmm. that could always like talk to each other. And they were all like interested in viruses as well. So I always mm -hmm. had like someone I could talk to, just talk like at to kind right. of explain my ideas. Mm -hmm. Here at OSU, I don't really have anyone who knows about viruses. Mm. So I kind of have oh, to have that all down by myself. And uh, the groups are much bigger, so there's uh, naturally less communication between each individual member. Mm. So well, that and has you're been a bit moving from another country. That's also challenging. In the yeah. middle of a pandemic, <laughs> I can imagine that sort of being challenging. But you feel like you're up to the ability to do the, the science, like to set up the lab. Like, did you have enough tools? Like, you came here and you're like, I can grow these things or problem solve how to do it. Like... Did it take you the amount of time you thought it was going to take to do the setup? I thought it would take less time, mm. especially with uh, the media components. I thought they would be available at the chem store, basically. Mm. Oh, okay. Some they weren't, so I had to kind of order them in. And because of COVID, there's still uh, delivery, sh delivery shortages. Yeah, shortages. of course. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all a bit slow, but uh, it's getting there. Yeah. Well, and for, yes, I think it from our pre-interview, it sounds like you are pretty close to actually starting your experiments. So I don't know, two, three months doesn't seem yeah. so long. It doesn't seem that bad. <laughs> and I feel like it's kudos to you to like cre create these connections or even like yeah. use connections that you had here in order to like get your stuff from USC and from Maine and from, you know, Santa Barbara. I think that that's like impressive coming mm -hmm. from another country and sort of being new here. You know, doing that. Yeah. So that's because marine science is kind of a small field compared to, uh -huh. say, medical sciences. 
And uh, yeah, most of them I have met at conferences. So oh, it's nice. not too difficult to just kind of write an email and say, hey, I know that you are growing uh, Miliania Huxley. Can I get a <laughs> culture, please? <laughs> and then it just gets shipped in the mail? More or less, yes. Oh, okay. Whoa. Can you fly with it? No. <laughs> oh, interesting. So you can put it in the mail, but you can't fly with the... Because it's like a, a virus or a bacteria. Yeah, if you have to declare it as a virus... Um, it's, people get alarm yeah. bells yeah alarm bells. you have to fill out a whole lot of paperwork if you want have a live virus in your luggage <laughs> and but you can won't ship it just fine right which is strange because yeah. that goes on a plane presumably yeah. who anyway. knows the united states america <laughs> um so talk us through a little bit what um you're, you're gonna be conducting these experiments with you know a couple of um I guess there's going to be controls, but also a a number of different um, what are they called criteria? No. Yeah, you're you're looking at like four different. Yes. It's like infected versus uninfected, and bacteria and fungus, and you both have you have a virus for each of those things. Uh, right. Like I have, a, yes, I have a virus for the algae, and I have a virus for the um, OM43. And we haven't mentioned the virus for the algae. It's. Mm-hmm. EHV207, is that correct? Yes. And it's a capsid, which is like not as interesting as a bacteriophage. Well, the the capsid is uh, that's just the head of the virus. So oh, that's okay. the, the protein that makes like the, the head structure. But sort of not as beautiful. It's not as pretty as the algae. No. <laughs> yeah, right, of course. So the idea is to see you're going to um, infect the, the algae, which produce which photosynthesizes and produces the methanol which the bacteria then eats right but you're also going to have uninfected algae so to see whether there's a difference there between whether bacteria consume methanol created by an infected or an uninfected algae right and then you're also going to have the bacteria that are eating the methanol are going to be both infected and not infected to Mm -hmm. see what role that plays on methanol yeah that's Pretty much the setup, and also I uh, need to have media blanks just to uh, like account for the backgrounds. Yes, for the background uh, measurements in natural seawater. And you were explaining to us in the pre-interview that one of the things, it, like kind of like you were talking about with the with the fungus, was it the fungus about opening the the cap a little bit, Fun- uh, or the, al- fungus, the, al- the algae, the algae? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, um, that you are having to deal with how to deal with headspace and freezing. Like it just like things I think that, right. I don't know, I wouldn't think about as problems, but like obviously these so are that's, problems. Uh, yeah, a slightly different project. So I want to take samples and uh, store them until I can measure them, which uh, would be really useful if I ever go on a research cruises, for example, that can last for like a month or mm. something. Oh, okay. Uh, usually you can't keep a volatile organic carbon sample for longer than a couple of days because they are volatile and right. they kind of dissipate mm. or react with each other and the whole profile changes so i'm kind of working on uh, how to store them long time mm. which would make a lot of things much easier i see okay so this is like a future project on how to like capture them but still yeah, it's, it's kind like of problem parallel. solving so uh, yeah. it's, it's gonna make things easier if i don't have to measure every sample um, as i take it so if i can just kind of store the samples for a while and then measure them all in a bulk experiment basically on the machine so it's just going to make my life easier yeah and i think um i remember we discussed that um there's also some hope for your time here to to then apply some of the lab results or to kind of was it to sort of validate your lab results by going into the field and testing 
testing some. I would very much like that. Yes, yeah. basically just go on research cruises and take natural seawater samples and uh, incubate them, see how they produce and use methanol and other volatile organic carbons. And yeah, if I I can't take the uh, mass spectrometer on the boat because it's like a big machine and right. very sensitive <laughs> and very expensive. So I would rather not do that. People have done that before, but it's, yeah, I don't think my supervisor would let me. <laughs> and, and actually speaking of that, that is partially why you came to OSU, right? This very specialized machine? Yes. It, so, you, you mentioned already, it's called the proton transfer mass spectrometer. Yes. Reaction, yeah, proton transfer reaction mass spectrometer. Oh, reaction. PTLMS. P- okay, yeah. proton transfer reaction mass spectrometer. Yes. <laughs> and there's like very few of them in the world. Is that correct? Well, or uh, in, in marine States? labs, I was should say. I, I, don't, I don't really know how many there are in, in like other fields. Right. But uh, in, the, in the marine labs, they're kind of uh, underused mm. because they are difficult to maintain. They are very expensive. So I think up to 500,000 plus uh, dollars for, for a machine. Mm. And, but we um, have one here, and they measure the volatile organic com- compound slash carbon. Yes. That's like the whole point, and you're that's like, well, that's what I machine. need. Exactly. And they have one here. It's kind of special. Yeah. Go OSU. Yeah, go OSU. <laughs> and um, there was another thing that you had mentioned to us about a difficulty with the bacteriophage specifically that you're working with, in that um, it had to do with the stationary phase of growing them. And you had mentioned that sort of like the bacteriophage that you work with that infect these, that infect um, the bacteria that eat the methanol, right, are like not super common in, like they don't, um, they're not prevalent often. So, oh, um, in, in, yeah. in the wild, like in the ocean versus like right. E. coli, which like are everywhere. So they, they've adapted to different ways. Yes. So I, actually E. coli is not abundant in the ocean. So. Oh, right. But, but like E. coli yes. has, but comparing it to E. coli and its like ability to grow really mm-hmm. well and why your bacteriophage. Yes. So um, bacteria doesn't grow very well. But the bacteria doesn't grow very well yeah, sorry, because it has a very small and streamlined genome. Mm. So it only has uh, about 1.3 megabase pairs of uh, genome. And uh, yeah, like E. coli and these kind of bacteria usually have like five to 10 megabase pairs. And and the, and the E. coli then, if I like if I were in a lab and I was trying to grow E. coli, e. coli it's very easy, right? Because like mm-hmm. E. coli, you were explaining, you feed it and it just like eats, but then it also has this ability to kind of... It can regulate better than the OM43 can. So the OM43, um, well, we don't really know that much about the bacteria either because not many labs study it, but um, we think it's streamlined. So it actively takes up everything it can like all the time. Mm. and doesn't stop and if it takes up too much it kind of dies mm. it just kind of takes up too much uh, it gets overwhelmed and uh explodes so, <laughs> and that's because so, <laughs> like in nature it like doesn't have as much food so exactly. it really has to make sure it eats because the oceans are actually very nutrient poor so there's right. very little uh carbons and other nutrients in uh, oceanic waters compared to like soils or terrestrial environments. Mm. So all the organisms are, of course, like evolved to be uh, able to survive in these nutrient-poor environments. Yeah. And it makes sense for them to take, always uh, take up stuff. Mm. Yeah, because when, when you were first telling me, I was thinking E. coli, they're better somehow because like they are easy to grow. But then I'm actually <laughs> thinking, actually, maybe the OM43 is better because 
they're really good at making sure, like utilizing all the mm-hmm. food that they have. Because if you had E. coli with not very much food, they would all die. Yeah. So E. coli in the ocean would probably just starve, whereas 143 and these bacteria are perfectly fine. Yeah. So who knows? I think <laughs> I like the I like the Ohm forty three approach. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Holga, I think you're going to have an excellent and probably very busy three years here at OSU. Um, before we 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 wrap up and get to our two traditions, I I we do just want to spend some time talking about kind of your journey to marine science in general, um, because um, I know you mentioned to us that you maybe weren't you know, the like strongest science student in high school (laughs) and that maybe a science career wasn't really a natural trajectory for you. So tell us a little about your path. So uh, I've always been interested in the oceans, but like you mentioned, uh, I wasn't a great high school student. I actually had to repeat a class because I didn't do well in high school. So I Mm. I just wasn't interested in doing all the assignments. And Mm. yeah, I was pretty bad at it but uh, yeah finally after high <laughs> which school which is a I just, shout out to i think to anyone who is thinking about like oh i'm not good at science at like but could, i think it's super cool yeah, yeah. like do you it. can do it yeah exactly yeah, yeah. certainly uh, yeah and after high school i basically just kind of went traveling for a while because i didn't really know what to do i knew i wanted to do something with like biology marine science mm. because that was what i was passionate about mm. but yeah a lot of people told me well high school grades are not great so mm. maybe try maybe to learn a trade or something mm. oh <laughs> well I, we, we should mention here that you are from germany where right. i think yeah germans i'm german too so we're right. we're very rigid it's like oh well if you didn't get those grades in school then clearly that's not what you should go and do with your life like right. it's i feel like in germany it's like a very clear path like if you're good at this then you go do that but yes. if not then right if go you're not something else yeah. so if you're not good at something then you can't don't even try yeah exactly that's kind of the mentality yeah right? oh, <laughs> wow okay. so you said i'm gonna leave germany for a while which turned out to be an excellent move yeah yes so uh yeah part of my travels took me to australia i went there for backpacking just a couple months and just by chance i went diving at um, the great barrier reef and met a marine biologist from the uk and we just kind of uh, started chatting about like what I was doing and said, oh, I really would like to also become like a marine biologist. Yeah. She said, well, you could just go to the UK. Like uh, Scotland has tuition free uh, programs <laughs> yeah. for EU citizens. <laughs> so I um, yeah, basically that same night I was looking up. How do that I apply? Same to night? F- that's I think so. Yeah. Wow. wow. That was that's. That's awesome. <laughs> that well, shows how much you like probably wanted it, but no one was and, like, giving you the push. Mm. To, yeah, like yeah. you had no idea. And then someone was like, actually, here, go to this place and it will be yeah. great. And it's free. And it's and free, it's free yeah. which is great. <laughs> and um, and also you were saying that in the German system that like not only do you have to be good at it, but if you wanted to study marine biology, you would have had to do a whole bunch of just like. Yeah, regular so, uh, biology. In Germany, usually we start with the fundamental sciences. So right. if you wanted to become a marine biologist, the usual trajectory would be to study biology, fundamental biology first. So you study uh-huh. like all the different systems that you're not necessarily interested mm-hmm. in. And then you can specialize later on in marine biology or whatever else. Uh, say do a master's or mm-hmm. do special internships and what they are like different opportunities but uh yeah you would have to start with the fundamentals and i didn't really want to do the fundamentals i want to do marine science yeah. yes i didn't really care about the human biology and right. terrestrial stuff so i wanted to just do the science stuff 
uh, the, the marine stuff. Okay, and so then you like looked it up and then you applied and got into the University of Highlands in Scotland. Yes, so I applied for five different universities in Scotland because the, the system doesn't allow for, for more than five applications. Mm-hmm. Okay. I got rejected in four of them. I <laughs> got accepted at the University of the Highlands and Islands. Oh, of the Highlands, Highlands and, and Islands. Islands. Yes. 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 I yeah. forgot that yeah. it was a yeah. rhyming name. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that's where you went? Yes. And so you had a great time. For four years. It was an amazing time. So I was at the Scottish Association for Marine Science, which is like a tiny institute that is associated with the uh, university. Uh, had a really high um, re- researchers to student ratios. There were like 200 researchers and maybe 100 students. That's mm-hmm. that's like, I feel like I've never heard of a place that has it yeah. in that way like it's always more students to researchers yeah. that's why it's special they only yeah. offered one degree which is marine science whoa <laughs> i did not know that and had maybe like 20 25 students per year so it was an amazing amazing opportunity for me right because you were saying that there was just like so many like you could walk into the you know research labs and be like yes. hey i want to do something i want to help out and they'd be like great that's basically what i did yeah. i just kind of after lectures i would go to the lecturer and say, hey, I, was, I thought the lecture was great. Do you do like anything in the lab that I could help out with? I tried a bunch of different things before wow. I actually ended up in uh, microbiology. Mm. So I tried uh, sedimentology and um, uh, marine carbon chemistry. And uh, yeah, I was also interested in deep sea fish and a whole okay. bunch. I tried mm. like a whole lot of things. And yeah, just by chance, I listened to a lecture from a mar- microbiologist and I thought it was cool, so she set me up with like a summer project. Oh wow! And uh, years yeah. later, here we are. <laughs> I, I exactly. also think that's like another shout out to like anyone who's listening, who's sort of thinking about like, oh, I got rejected. It mm. sort of like was meant to be, or who knows mm. what it would have happened at those other four universities, but like this one was really good for you. You yeah. got to like try out all the things. Basically, don't dwell on the opportunities that didn't pay out. It's always better to just focus on what you have now and kind yeah. of see where that takes you yeah exactly exactly what a great place to somewhat end on yeah we still have a few more things to do yeah well i i also just wanted to say that your your phd advisor at the university of exeter was a postdoctoral fellow here at osu yes he was actually a postdoc at the same lab that i am now that's to Steve. me it's oh. like everything's coming full circle science you just never family. know yeah. Uh, yeah you'll never know it's a very yeah, close science family yeah yeah um, Holga, this has been a lot of fun. Yes. I've really enjoyed myself. I enjoyed yeah. We learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. Hope you did too. I did. <laughs> um, yes, on Inspiration Dissemination, we have two traditions at the end of every episode. The first is that you give um, a piece of advice. It can be to anybody, undergraduates, graduates, postdocs, um, your past self, anybody. So just tell us what your advice is and who it's for, if it's for a specific group. So I would uh, like to give advice to any aspiring scientist out there. So if you think you're not smart enough or you don't have the grades or maybe it's not a good choice, if you're passionate about it, just try it. You can always just uh, approach the scientist, ask if you can do a project in their lab for the summer. Just try it. You might like it. And it worked out for me, so why not for you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's really good advice because I definitely think people think like, oh, I can't. And yeah, don't think, listen to those people. Yeah, <laughs> you can. Yeah, and don't listen to the voices in your yes. head telling you you can. Yeah, because right. you can. If you're passionate about it, just give it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's great. 
Okay, and so our our second tradition, we ask you to pick the song that you want to be outroed to. So what song did you pick? And if you want to tell us why, you can. That's A Rose for Epona by Eloveti. And it's just a good song. So it's okay. not a deeper meaning, that's, just like the band. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah. best reason. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much, Holger. And this, oh, is, you. Uh, this is your outro song. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, tell your friends about it and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at KBVRID. This theme music was performed by the OSU Drumline and the intro jingle was created by Olin Hamad. Special thanks to the supporting staff at KBVR that allow the show and podcast to be possible. This show was started by Jean Kamvar and Joey Hulbert in 2012. To learn about our current hosts, other graduate students at Oregon State, or if you want to be part of the show, visit our website at blogs.oregonstate.edu inspiration. Thanks again for listening, and stay curious, my friends.